Welcome to bizpod.ninja, your central hub for business wisdom from rockstar entrepreneurs, CEOs. Hello, everyone. Welcome. It is August 13th, 2020. I have a dear friend, very special guest here today, live streaming from Dubai is Sonia. How are you, Sonia? How are you doing? Oh, thank you, Andreas, for having me. How are things in, uh, in Dubai these days? Everything's relatively under control. The borders are actually open since uh, early July. So we actually have tourists that are coming inside the country. I think it's one of the few countries that Americans are allowed in these days. Um, so <laughs> if you want to come visit me, Andreas, feel free to. Exactly. I think, we've been, I think we've been pretty much banned or booted from every other, most other countries. I think Turkey is also another country where we're not banned. Maybe Brazil, not even. But Brazil has a pretty bad situation as well. Yeah, probably don't want to go there. How, how have you been holding up during the quarantine? I know, I think yeah. Dubai had a relatively late start, I think, to the pandemic. And I think managed it. From my understanding, from what I've read in all my friends in, in Dubai, whom I've followed up in the past few months, it seems like pretty well contained. Yeah, I have to say, I think I started working from home on March 10th. I am still working from home, so it's been uh, a while now. But yeah, I think that the government did a great job, at least in containing... Everyone is pretty diligent with masks, even today, when Dubai is 100% open now, so the restaurants are open, etc., and the malls are open, etc., but everyone is wearing their masks, except obviously while they're eating, etc. But no, I think it was well managed given the, the, the circumstances. I think everyone had obviously issues adjusting on several fronts. I guess in my case, I'm fortunate that I have a garden and an have space. I dealt, I, I, I did, I was alone. I have been alone throughout, me and my little rescue cat. I think how, uh, is she, the, how is she doing? Your rescue cat? Fine. She's fine. She zooms around um, all over the, the, the place with her two front legs because she's uh, disabled with her back legs. Yeah. So she's, she's been my little companion, my lockdown companion, essentially. <laughs> Have you been taking up to new hobbies, any new kind of cuisines or dishes you've either made or invented? Because I've been doing tons of cooking. I'm sure you have, because I remember that from, how long have we known each other for, Andreas? 12 years now? No, longer. I think 15, 15, no, 16 years. 16 wow. years, maybe a little over 16, but yes. Yes, you've always been a fantastic cook in these last 16 years. I am not surprised that you took cooking up during the lockdown. I did not. <laughs> okay. um, so I actually, I don't like cooking for myself. I, I like cooking for others. So if I'm hosting a dinner party, then I love to cook, but I don't like to cook for myself. No, did I take up some hobbies? Yes, you're going to laugh. But I was a bit worried about how I was going to stay in shape. I didn't buy like any indoor equipment or anything. What I did buy is a step. Do you know what a step is? Oh, like, a, like one of the, it's half a foot like in height and you just step on and step down like a, yeah. Yeah, a step very plank. like 80s type. Yep. So lots of videos on YouTube. So I just stream my videos on YouTube and I step around. <laughs> wow. Any particular exercise channels? Why not using any of the apps? And I'll, self, I'll do a, a selfish uh, shout out to uh, FitOn, which is a, a company I invested in. And they're one of the fastest growing health and fitness apps out there. Why not, why not use more kind of an engaged app versus YouTube or just out of curiosity? No, I did. I, the good point. I think I already spent so much time on my phone. I didn't necessarily want to download another app. I did eventually get a stationary bike, which has been effective and is not acting as a, a clothes hanger. 
as most people feared. Is it a Peloton um, or is it like a, a proper it's not, bike? It's not a Peloton, just a regular bike. But it's nice because I can put my phone and just listen to podcasts. Yeah. I've been listening to Michelle Obama's podcast on Spotify. And uh, no, what I did recently download is I started intermittent fasting. And so I downloaded Zero, which is a, an yep. app that just track of your fasts. Yeah. So I just downloaded it last week and, and started intermittent fasting three times a week. That's a gamification of an experience. No, other than that, I, I painted. I also downloaded Inside Timer, which I quite like. I don't mm. know if you've checked it out. Um, it's a meditation app, guided mm. meditation app. And that's actually been wonderful because it's 15-minute meditations. And yeah, I think I just really took the time to just also disconnect. Like all these apps, fantastic. But you also, we spend so much time in front of our screens these days. That's right. That that's right. You don't, I know you just got a cat as well. So I feel like it's a welcome distraction when you have another person obviously a human or another animal because at least you're not stuck to your screens all the time that's right i did get a i did find my spirit animal her name is <laughs> Nina, and she's a a bengal kitten she's amazing i'll have to have her on the show some at some point but she's wild like she'll jump in my headrest and she's super vocal as bengals are eventually i'll have to give her a cameo mia appearance on the show so with that let's get into the meat and potatoes and for your vegans out there mash and peas Sonia is a founding partner of VentureSook, a UAE-based investment platform focused on global early-stage tech-enabled businesses. Previously, she worked with Microsoft, Viacom, uh, and Turner in London and in Dubai. And I know Sonia back from the London days. Uh, she's a charter member and board director of Ties Dubai Chapter, serves as UAE director for the Yale Alumni Schools Committee, and is a board member and mentor for E7 Daughters of the Emirates. She holds a BA from Yale and a master's from LSE, London School of Economics, and is also a Kaufman Fellow. I think that's a recent, you joined the Kaufman program, when, three, four years ago? Last 24, I joined last year. There we go, okay, because I knew you were going through the program previously, so yeah. now, now it's official, congratulations. Uh, VentureSook is a UAE-based investment platform focused on early stage technology companies, both regionally and globally. Launched in 2013, uh, VentureSook organically built a network of over a thousand angel and institutional investors, creating one of the largest venture platforms in the region and one of the largest kind of portfolios period in, in the entire MENA region. I think it went over 160 companies now. Yeah. VentureSook develops a rich educational content around venture investing and delivers it via a number of programs through the MENA region. So that's Sonia, super impressive background. It's remarkable. I remember when you were venturing, pun intended, into the venture space. And can you tell us how you happened upon this platform and VentureSook? I think originally it started off, when I had visited you in, in Dubai, it was more or less an informal thing that you were working on with a few colleagues, which grew into a larger, into a larger you know, organization and a, and a proper kind of thing that you've been working on fully. Can you tell me about what you were doing prior to VentureSook and how did you get into it? Yeah, totally. Yeah, so I'm a total accidental venture capitalist. It's definitely not part of my plan. I also don't really believe in plans. So this was not meant to be. I worked at Microsoft as well with our dear friends, Tom Aviston and, and Fritz Landman yeah. and Charlie Songhurst right. uh, back in the day. And then, so I basically was part of the strategy and M&A team with Fritz. Then I joined uh, Viacom in their strategy team covering emerging markets. Right. Um, so we were covering Russia, Central Eastern Europe, Middle East, Africa, India, focusing on MTV, Comedy Central, Nickelodeon. 
And then I joined, and then I moved to Dubai in 2011 and uh, with Viacom. And after a year, decided to join Turner uh, Broadcasting, which is, 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 is funny because I had always thought that I would end up in journalism. And that's why I studied politics undergrad and grad, thinking I would, you know, be the next Christian Amanpour. And then got could be. tonight on BizPod Ninja. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so anyway, I got, got sidetracked by Microsoft. <laughs> Thanks, Fritz. Um, and that was the end of my journalistic aspirations. So ironically that I ended up uh, at Turner because obviously Turner owns CNN. Um, right. And then while I was at Turner, I started angel investing with, with a bunch of friends who yep. uh, are now my, my partners. And we were doing this on the side from our you know, day jobs. And what we found, and this is again, 2013, right? So the ecosystem in this region is nascent as it is, but seven right. years ago, obviously it was the way it is. When we started um, investing together, what we found was that there were a lot of young professionals and, and friends of ours who were interested in investing in this space as well, but no one really had a platform to do so. We just started hosting informal pitch nights, essentially, where we'd pick three entrepreneurs we thought were interesting and then just have them pitch and whoever wanted to invest could invest directly into the companies themselves. Right. And then we just grew exponentially through word of mouth, like zero PR, zero marketing. People like friends just brought their friends and then fast forward seven years on, we have grown into the largest syndicate in the region. And we invest- before, before we get there, who came up with the name VentureSuke? I'm, I'm curious how- I don't remember. When we started, <laughs> we called it Venture Hub. I know it was called Venture Hub initially. Yeah. And then I don't know, I don't remember it, to be honest. I, I do remember thinking, like all of us thinking it needs to have a Middle Eastern kind of persona in a way. So obviously, Souk makes sense. But yeah, yeah, it's a fantastic name in retrospect. It's a, it's a great name. Because essentially, it is, your syndicate is a marketplace in a, in a way. So. There's a market for Venture, exactly. So yeah, so that's how we started. So basically, four friends got together and, uh, and started Venture. And the fact that we're still very close friends seven years on is a testament to resilience of our, our relationships. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Not easy to work with friends sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it either works super well or it's a complete disaster. Interesting. So can you tell me a little bit about some of your most notable investments like early on and maybe some that you're most proud of as of late? Yeah. We are, our mandate is global. We focus on, on early stage, but really I would say our sweet mm -hmm. spot is series A, but we have invested from seed all the way up to pre-IPO, actually, because of the syndicate model. Because Pre-IPO? Pre yeah. That's much later stage. Because we have such a large pool of investors with different yeah. risk profiles and appetites, what we're good at is putting our ear to the ground and understanding what the needs are, yep. and then basically filtering the opportunities based on that. So even from a kind of a business uh, operational standpoint, mm -hmm. um, we don't just send an email. If you're on our distribution list, it's not like you just get like a monthly email saying, hey, Andreas, here are the 20 opportunities that you can invest into. No, no. Like I will know that Andreas is specifically interested in Latin America, is specifically interested in mobility, is specifically interested in fintech. And I will only share with Andreas those deals that are relevant to him. If Andreas says, hey, I'm location, I'm uh, sector agnostic, then I'll say, okay, then we'll, I'll share whatever opportunities come across our desk. So this is the way we operated over the last seven years. Now, as we've matured as an organization, What's happened is that our investor base has also matured alongside us, which has been beautiful for us to see. Mm -hmm. So they're starting to find right. niches and pockets that they want to start focusing on. So we're moving away now from the deal by deal and we're focused, we're heading more towards thematic. So right now we have three main pillars that we're focused on. One is regional fintech. So MENA plus Pakistan fintech. One is YC, so we invest in each of the YC batches. And then the third is Conscious Collective, which is a new uh, impact vehicle that we launched in March. 
Got it. Can you give me an example of each, like a company that fits in each one of those themes that you've worked on as of late that you'd like to share? Yeah, regional fintech is not launched yet, but regional fintech, I think, is, is, is pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. We invest in a company called Dappy, for example, which is open banking. We invest in another company called MamoPay, which is essentially our version of, of Venmo. So those are like examples of the kind of regional fintech front. There's a lot happening on the regional fintech front here because there's a lot of catching up to do as well. I think what's interesting about the pandemic is that it's accelerated this digital transformation, right? So yeah. The velocity of this, of, of this transformation is happening. Right. Um, a much, much quicker pace. And everyone talks about digital transformation that, but this really was a catalyst for the banks and, and the corporates to really start implementing rather than just theorizing about what digital transformation would look like. So that's regional fintech. One, one quick question. I know Dubai has a financial hub or like they have a special taxation zone for startups and financial hubs. What's it, what's it called again? Free zones. Free zones, all right. Yeah, is, are a lot of the fintech players in the region, are they establishing their companies as part of that UAE or Dubai free zone? How does, it, how does the landscape look locally? The yeah, there, there, there are multiple. So when I worked at Turner and at Viacom, we were, the offices were in Media City. My friends at Facebook and LinkedIn were in Internet City. So these are all individual thematic free zones. With regards to fintech, you have several options. So obviously there's DIFC, which is- That's the one that I, rem- that I recall yeah. most of, yeah. But then Abu Dhabi is also huge now. So you have ADGM now, Abu Dhabi Global Markets. So mm. you can get licensed there as well. Obviously with the UAE is seven Emirates. Everyone talks about Dubai yep. and, and Abu Dhabi, but Sharjah actually is extremely active as well. Smaller Emirate, but making its headway in, in the ecosystem as well. So yeah, so that's how it works typically is the companies will set up their offices in, in one of the free zones, the tech companies. And actually we set up, I'll do a plugin now, but it's a free tool. So for the entrepreneurs that are interested in expanding their operations to the UAE, we partnered with Latham & Watkins, the, the law firm, and we yeah. created uh, a free zone navigator. So literally it just lists out all the free zones and you can compare them in pricing, et cetera. And oh, it's based on the type of business that you have. Exactly. Because initially when we started our business, even like it was all Excel based. Like I had this massive Excel sheet trying to compare the costs of setting up in Dubai versus Ras Al Khaimah versus Abu Dhabi versus Kujera. And then within Dubai, all these different free zones. Wow. So uh, yeah, check it out. Freezonenavigator.com. Freezone, for everyone listening, freezonenavigator.com. I'll yeah. add that to the description later when we publish it. Cool. And then in terms of, uh, tell me a little bit about your impact fund. Yeah, that's my baby. Yeah, that's really what I'm focused on right now. It's something I've been wanting to do for a while. I just didn't feel like this market was ready. This market is still very two-pocket thinking. One very deep pocket for philanthropy, one very deep pocket for profit companies and investments. And I had consulted for Acumen four years ago. So I'd been part of that impact investment echo chamber. And obviously it's right. venture soup, kind of the traditional VC. What we're doing with Conscious Collective, which is the name of the, the impact vehicle, is really we're at the nexus of that. So what we're saying is that we're looking at deals exactly the same way that Venture Soup commercially looks at deals. We're just hyper-focused on sectors that we feel are underserved from a capital injection standpoint. So ed tech, ag tech, financial inclusion, health tech, environmental tech. These are the five pillars that we're focused on. It wasn't intentional for us to launch amidst the pandemic because we launched in March. But, but yeah, it's a, syndicate. it's a syndicate of like-minded folks from this region. It's really the first of its kind, to be perfectly frank. Awesome. And I think it's a beautiful way to nurture the next generation of mission-driven investors coming out of this region. So 2020, I'm really focused on educating the market. And so that's why 
Conscious Collective is the investment vehicle. We're also yeah. launching later this year a fellowship program, so a Conscious Investor Fellowship Program with two other partners. And that'll be by invite 20 investors from the region. And mm. again, training the next generation of, of mission-driven investors coming out of this region. So um, that's the focus for, for this year. And we'll have a portfolio of 10 companies, inshallah, by the end of the year. That's amazing. Congratulations on that. That's super special. I, that's a, an amazing program. When you first told me that, I was like surprised. This is like the first of its kind in the region. Total hats off to you, Sonia. How does VC differ in the Middle East compared to, let's say, Silicon Valley or Europe and your experience? There's probably some nuances. What are those nuances? As I said earlier, the ecosystem here is definitely nascent. It's made huge headways over the last seven years, but I don't think you can compare this ecosystem to, to Silicon Valley. And I don't think you should, to be perfectly frank, either. I think every ecosystem has its own dynamic and should have its own dynamic. Each, um, each one is its own snowflake. I get that. Yeah, exactly. But, but that said, I do think, again, because of the pandemic, that it's accelerated now what's happening in this region, which is why mm. we're seeing some really interesting plays being done in the fintech space, in the edtech space, in the health right. tech space, all, this, all the spaces that everyone's looking at right now. We've also had a few major exits, which has put Mina on the map. So Kareem, which was our right. version of Uber, our local Uber, started by Magnus and Modest Sheka. Were you guys Brad investors Hart. in Kareem, in Kareem or? No. It was before uh, we started VentureSoup, unfortunately. Got it. Got it. Um, fantastic, fantastic co-founders, though, both of them. What was, um, the exit yeah. what was the exit of that? I think it was definitely a unicorn, right? It wasn't like yeah. a couple... It was acquired. It was acquired for three point one billion dollars. Three point one. Okay, my mind. I was thinking around two, but wow, even more. Three. Three point one. Okay. Yeah, the largest. So yeah. So obviously, when you hear about these types of deals being done now, yeah. You know, it's and the thing with you think the thing with this region also. What's interesting is that it's really geographically at the crossroads as well. So when where we add value to our portfolio companies is when they want to expand to this region, uh, whether it be Egypt, whether it be Saudi, etc. So we've helped one of our Swiss portfolio companies expand to Saudi. We help one of our Chinese fintech companies expand to the region. And I think that's what makes the UAE, for example, very special, is that it really is an intersection for people who want to do business with India, with Africa, with Europe. Right. It's a nice base to have. Yeah, no. Every time I think about where the Middle East has a region or, or a, a potential location for that, Dubai and the UAE is just like the number one spot that companies look, look at and is a great platform for getting into other areas of the region. So how do you think about other adjacent countries like Egypt or Turkey, where they're considered maybe Turkey's not, it's a kind of a hybrid. It's not really considered the Middle East. It's kind of considered, mm -hmm. well, it's maybe Middle East, somewhat Europe, and then Egypt, Northeastern African, but also Middle Eastern. It's like, how do you think Dubai fits across the entire region? Most people think about starting their business out of Dubai, but typically their next, they, they have their eye on Saudi, specifically. Saudi. Yeah. Because obviously it's a much larger market than the UAE. Egypt is obviously humongous. Huge. So that's another huge market. It's basically Egypt and Saudi are the two main markets that most Dubai-based companies or UAE-based companies want to eventually expand to. What's been interesting recently is there's a keen interest in VCs here looking at Pakistan. Um, and look, not at India, but at Pakistan specifically, and looking at Africa. So we're seeing, yeah, we're seeing a broadening kind of, of, of the remits happening. Yep. They're not, they're still like a majority of their investments are still very much MENA focused. Yeah. But we're seeing integration of Pakistan and, and Africa. We're, we're looking at deals with, we've always focused on, on global. So but it's nice that now we're able to share deals with our colleagues at some of the other VCs who are now looking at some of the same markets that we've always looked at.
Amazing. What's your investment focus in light of COVID? Has anything changed uh, at VentureSuk? Or you got, is it still business as usual? What are some areas, and you mentioned before FinTech, you mentioned the impact project. Can you tell our listeners, what is it that you're specifically, if there is a particular startup out there or somebody who has a particular deal flow, what they should be sharing with you today? Yeah, obviously our focus right now is regional FinTech and global uh, what I call conscious investments. I'm a bit wary of using the word impact investments because it's so heavily loaded. Got it. Regional fintech, I think we're ideally placed to, we'll see all the deal flow that comes through. Yeah, for I guess for the other investors, if you're coming at- across interesting deals coming out of any market internationally, but really I think dealing with with challenges, with meaningful challenges that are, and, and, and ventures that are gonna have an actual long-term positive legacy That's what I personally would like to see for Conscious Collective, because I think if anything, what the pandemic has highlighted is that we need to invest more in healthcare. We need to invest more in financial inclusion. We need to invest more in the environment. And so that's why in a way there was a silver lining with us launching in March, even though it wasn't intentional, Um, not easy to fundraise amidst the pandemic. I can tell you that, (laughs) but people, people get it. Like people understand that this is important and that we need to start funneling our dollars towards ventures that are totally for profit and will generate a financial return, but they're actually going to have a meaningful positive legacy on this planet and our society as well. Got it. Got it. Thank you. One final question. We're at the tail end of, of the show and, and thanks again for, for making the time. I know it's late for you there in Dubai, so we'll wrap up shortly. Is being a woman like in venture capital in the Middle East, does it come with any kind of particular nuances or challenges for female listeners out there? There are, it's true that there are not many female investors in the Middle East. I can probably right. count them on my two hands. That said, I think there is a, a misconception about female entrepreneurs here. I think there was data from ArabNet from two years ago where they found that actually the number of funded startups that had, that were either female-led or had one female co-founder was at 14%, which wow. is actually higher than in the U.S. Wow. Yeah. So there is a misconception that for whatever reason, that maybe it's harder for women. I, this is me speaking as Sonia. I can't speak on behalf of the entire kind of entrepreneurial community in this region. I personally have not seen it, but at the same time, I am a woman myself. So obviously when I look at a deal, like there's, it's genderless for me. Like I don't even think of male versus female founder. It doesn't even, honestly, it doesn't even cross my mind. So I get that what I'm saying is, is completely biased, yeah. but as an, as a female investor, no. Do I feel like different or anything? No. I, I am treated the same way as any other investor and it's not more difficult for me. Okay. So yeah, no, I, I think there are misconceptions around this, but yes, I would like to see more female investors. That's what, know, yeah, exactly. Out. That's what I, that's where I'm getting at. Like, why aren't there more? And is that a reason? There are more anywhere. Like, why aren't there more in the US and why aren't there more? So I think if you look at Venture Souk at the four founding partners, two of them are female, myself included. And we're both called, called Sonia, by the way. <laughs> so, that's right. That's right. Um, so I would say yes. Maybe we're a bit of an outlier because half of our founding partners are, are female, and that has trickled down because we have half of our team is actually female in general. But I think we will see more of that as well. You have Umbar, who's amazing at Ipsakar in Palestine. She runs a fund out of Palestine. Mm-hmm. You have Heather Henian, who, who handles Mindshift Capital here. She focuses solely on investing into female-led ventures. You have Alyssa Freha. You have quite a few. Obviously, you have Sonia, my, my colleague, Sonia Gokli. Noor Suede is another one. There are. But I think there is definitely room for more. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you for all these insights, Sonia. You're a true business ninja, a true corp dev ninja. 
thank you very much for all the wisdom that you have here today. It's great to hear from you. And it's nice to know that you're doing well. And you've got the garden, you've got the cat, you've got the uh, step, step plank. <laughs> you're in high spirits. Everything is good. We're going we're gonna to get through COVID. Everyone is going to think I'm like some like weirdo that does like 80s exercises with my step. <laughs> like 80s music and like a leotard. <laughs> now that you've painted it that way, I think people will. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sonia, thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, everyone, thank you for tuning in. We had a special edition today of, of, of the show. We had to do it on Zoom. Social Live was not able to connect to the, for the streaming aspect into Dubai for some reason. So this is a, an extra unique uh, show and, and episode. We have Sonia on, amazing female venture capitalist from VentureSuit, providing truths from the trenches. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you. Have a nice day, everyone. Thank you.